0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of my podcast, Is Breakfast Included? I hope everyone's having a great day today. It's Friday. How could you not be having a great day, right? Unless Friday is your Monday, then sorry. Anyway, today on the show, I sit down with blues guitar player Lance Lopez. Now to call Lance a lifer is truly an understatement. He's been playing guitar since he was eight years old. He was playing New Orleans clubs at 16 and touring alongside the late great soul singer, Johnny Taylor at 17 later with lucky Peterson. Lance has done it all and he ain't done yet. He's going to tell us all about it. Let's check it out. I guess we'll get started, man. Just, uh, tell everyone who you are and what you do.
1: Well, Hey, yeah, this is, uh, this is Lance Lopez, man. I'm, I, uh, I grew up as a blues guitar player in Dallas, Texas. Um, originally from Louisiana, uh, I grew up playing with some of the best of the best R&B and blues musicians in the world as a sideman all throughout my teenage years and into my early twenties when I started my own solo career and been putting out records and touring all over. You know, the South, Texas, the Europe, both coasts, East Coast, West Coast. You know. A, All kinds of uh, roads and places in between.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, you you've been at this for a while. I know. um, When I was first introduced to your music was probably the early two thousands. Um, but when did you start playing? Like legit? When did you? When did you pick up a guitar?
1: I picked up a guitar in the in the mid eighties. I mean, I'd had the interest to play for a very long time as a as a young child, as a toddler. you know, my my dad was army buddies with Elvis Presley, so my earliest memories was him showing me, you know, footage of Elvis, and then I saw um, I saw pictures of them together, and so I didn't even know who Elvis really was. I just knew he was my dad's friend, and when I showed interest in wanting to be a musician and play music, um, my dad really pushed me then at that point to to you know to play and to get behind it, and he he provided interesting, you know, bought me guitars and and really kind of uh, pushed me in that direction. So he. He eventually got me a guitar for Christmas, and then he um, gave me a Chuck Berry record. And he was like, "If you learn all these songs on this Chuck Berry record, I'll buy you an electric guitar." Oh, so wow. that's kind of how we. Yeah, that's kind of how we. <laughs> that's how it' all started from there, you know.
0: So your dad being friends with Elvis uh, was was Elvis kind of an influence? Was there a lot of Elvis being played in the house?
1: there was but that's it, it was but it was you know it was that thing it's kind of like you know he grew up and it's like oh that's my dad's buddy
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, it, was,
1: yeah. it was a whole different situation as most people you know we kind of were like okay but it wasn't influential i mean of course the records were great yeah we exposed me to like a lot of the early sun material and you know and then we'd watch the movies and we we just knew it i mean it was just part of you know our you know, like of our family. So he had passed away right before I was born. So I didn't, I, I wasn't going to get to meet him. He was coming to town to perform, and and um and that was the first thing that my mom said when he died. She, I was, you know, she was pregnant with me. That's the first thing she said. Oh, now I won't get to meet him. You know. Yeah. So, um you know, anyway. So it, yeah, there was a lot of influence there, and so a lot of early rock and roll coming from my dad. You know, like the real deal rock and roll, Little Richard um chuck berry elvis um you know those those guys was like early on was what i was you know exposed to as far as playing guitar so and then you know of course elvis Presley.
0: yeah know. did your dad play
1: he didn't he didn't but he just you know because of you know he wasn't a musician but he was friends with one of the greatest there had ever been so you yeah know, he, yeah he, he pushed it you know
0: yeah so um, i'm gonna assume you learned how to play all those chuck berry songs Absolutely.
1: I mean, that's, I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I want to do, I want to be electric guitar. So yeah, whatever we got to do to get to the, the next level. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: So once you started, once you started playing, like you named off all your, all the guys you were listening to, who was your guy that kind of, you know, drove you? Was hey, there was any wh- Hendrix. Hendrix?
1: Hendrix. Absolutely. A hundred percent.
0: And how yeah, old were Hendrix, you when I you mean, discovered Hendrix?
1: Probably nine or 10 years old. Um, know, i came home i think i came home from school one day and uh my older brother and his friends were in the, in the and they they had found a copy of are you experienced and so they were listening to i don't even know what was playing but i just remember coming and hearing it was like foxy lady or purple haze maybe and i came in the house and heard the, the and i was just like oh my god what is that and um and they were all passing the album cover around you know the yellow album cover of are you experienced yeah And I sat on my bed in the bedroom and they dropped the needle on the title track, you know, with the big backwards swooshing intro and the backwards guitars and drums. And it's almost, I almost felt like I was absolutely like levitating in the room. I mean, it was a complete spiritual out of body experience as a kid, you know, completely all natural too. Yeah. So it was like, it just was this otherworldly experience I had when I heard, are you experienced? So, um, From that point on, it was just like he was the bar. And so we grew up in the town I grew up in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, until I was 12 before I moved to Dallas. We had a coliseum there. And so we had every band you could think of in the 80s would play every weekend. So matter of fact, I mean, I I saw the very first gig Sammy Hagar ever did with Van Halen industry that was where they started mm-hmm. so we would go to those shows and then we would watch whatever guitar player and try to min- so hendrix was always the bar i would always you know go watch all the great guitar players and go yeah i mean that was great but <laughs> i'd go home and listen to Hendrix, and so that was what was funny too about hearing hendrix for the first time is is i listened to hendrix and then i thought and I had the album cover, and I go, "We got to go see this guy as soon as he comes to town." And they all were laughing, <laughs> and they go, "Man, he's been dead twenty years, you know." No. And I thought it was brand new, cutting edge music. Like I thought it had just come out. So
0: he was, was really day. new to you. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
1: It's first first time I'd ever heard. I didn't even know, you know discovered it, so I didn't even know.
0: So, um, you've done it. You've done the touring internationally. You've you've played with some of the the greats. But you're kind of known as a Dallas guy, but you got your real start in New Orleans, right?
1: That's right. That's right. I, um, you know, we I moved. We moved from Shreveport to Dallas. I moved with my mother there for a couple of years, which kind of set me on the path to play the blues. I, you know, growing up in the '80s in Shreveport, we had um, Eddie Van Halen's wife was also from Shreveport. Valerie a famous actor. So she was there and so all the kids in town it was almost like he was our own as well because they were always in town mm-hmm. and so all the kids were really you know that was kind of what everyone was doing and i had more of a, a naturally bluesy approach to playing and and kids would even say that they would even go man you play really bluesy like it wasn't cool you know and i uh and so i, I remember coming and talking to my dad about it i was like man, dad, i'm playing with the kids and they're like tapping and playing all the shredding and and I'm playing this certain style of way that I felt, you know, and I guess a lot of that came from, you know, the, the Chuck Berry and the early records that I learned how to play to, you know? And, um, so he introduced me to BB King and he was like, you know, son, this is the greatest blues singer of all time. And he played me BB King. and Thought, wow. So a couple of years later when we moved to Dallas, um, as soon as we arrived, um, I saw in the paper that BB King was coming to town and, um, and so I, I, asked my mom, you know, I was like 12, you know, and I was like, mom, take me to see BB King. And she did. And we got there and BB came out early and I thought, wow, this is pretty early for BB to play. But the thing that struck me the most was I was looking around at this, car. we were at the Starplex Amphitheater there and I don't know if you know what it's called now, but it was the Starplex Amphitheater. <laughs> we then. just keep
0: calling it the Starplex.
1: <laughs> You're right. It was the Starplex. And everybody had these t-shirts on that said SRV, you know, and I kept going, why is that, what does that mean? Like, why does everybody have a t-shirt? and then you know and then and then whatever dj girl was on q102 at that time came out and and said uh you know introduce stevie ray on his hometown show so we're letting him headline and stevie ray came out of course i was 10 rows back in the center of the you know right up front and to see stevie ray vaughn you know two months before he passed away it was like it was biblical i mean it was complete another one of those kind of experiences like are you experienced where i was like floating out of my body i was just like sitting in front of Stevie Ray, you know, 10 or 15 feet away, just like not even knowing who he was or what was happening. And then he played Hendrix. And so that bar that had been set that I was saying, you know, when I go see all these other guitar players, finally, I was like, Oh my God, there it is. And then, you know, then he was gone, you know? So the thing was, is that it made it okay to play the blues. And so that's what I did from there on out Mm -hmm. was just totally dug into that. So, I it's just deep into it, and so a couple of years after living in Dallas, I moved to New Orleans with my dad. In the in the throes of the deep research of the blues, and when I got to New Orleans with my father, when I was fourteen or fifteen, he heard me playing, and he said, "You we've got to you got to go out and start playing." So that's how it started. I, he then took me out to to clubs and bars, and I was sitting in with. You know, some of the people from the Neville family, you know, the, some of the Neville's, George Porter, all these guys. I had no clue who they were, but they were like these iconic New Orleans musicians. And I was sitting in with them and playing with them. And then through that, bands would hire me and I would go out and play all night long, you know, and I was, you know, just starting high school. So I would go out and play like a happy hour gig. I would play the regular gig, you know, a happy hour, like from five to eight. then a normal gig from nine to twelve, and then the after hour from like two to five, and then go go to school at eight in the morning. So after having just got off a gig at five, so it was crazy, man. It was like you know nonstop craziness for you know a while when I first started playing, but all over Fat City, which was in Metairie, Louisiana, and which was like a mini French Quarter, and then in the French Quarter and all throughout you know playing you know playing really good just new orleans boogaloo style you know funk and r&b and all that good stuff in new orleans you know
0: and when did you make your way back to dallas
1: so we moved to florida briefly where i kind of started um you know playing you know kind of increased my local band playing we moved to florida briefly and then we came back um in the mid 90s i guess early early 90s early mid 90s um we came back when um we had an opportunity i had an opportunity to go to berkeley in boston I had a scholarship via my my band director which i was in jazz ensemble in high school down in florida and i had an opportunity to go to berkeley on a scholarship or uh or move back to dallas where i had you know friends that i had and grew up with and you know i was going to had plans to get my kind of my um my childhood bands back together and and play with those guys too and so i opted to come back to dallas i said let me come back to dallas and see what you know if i can do anything And i've got the opportunity to go to berkeley and so when we came back um you know i had befriended some of lucky peterson's band members down in florida when we were there and all these guys were coming through and playing in our club circuits and i was playing on the club circuit down there So I, there was guys in Dallas that I'd known from down in Florida and they invited me out to sit in. And when I came out to sit in with them, um, I went to sit in with Lucky Peterson's band at a place in South Dallas called Booker's Arandis. It's no longer there, but it was deep in the middle of South Dallas at like Oak. Well, I guess it's Malcolm X and Hatcher now, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is deep down in the hood. I went down there and sat in and just got up on stage and played with everything I had. The place went crazy and as i was stepping off the stage a guy grabbed me and he was like hey man can you be in atlanta in 2 days and i was like I, man i need to ask my dad <laughs> i was like i don't know <laughs> you know and 2 days later i was on a tour bus with johnny taylor going to play with johnny taylor bobby blue bland and johnny guitar watson you know wow and i was just was like at 17 and had no clue who these dudes were and i was learning i had to learn 36 songs on a bus ride from dallas to atlanta and you know with a walkman with the big foam earphones and a Strat, you know, on the, uh, sitting on the bus seat, like learning all this material to back all these different artists. So, and there it began, you know, it was like I was a sideman out on the road with all these people and I had no clue who they were until like, you know, my heroes would show up backstage and, you know they'd be like you have no idea who you're working for like i don't but oh my god you know so it was that's when i started to realize like i'm with i mean not only hearing the music while i was on stage but then to you know and go oh my god like this is the real thing but then to see you know the heroes i grew up playing you know watch them and 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 like going oh my god like this is like this is the real deal you know so that's and that's that was what it was like in dallas for a long time and then, you know in the 90s we had all the great blues jams the blues clubs in dallas and it was just it was an amazing blues scene in the 90s growing up there with greenville Bar and grill the deep deep ellum scene with Blue cat blues i mean all every night of the week there was there was blues music just happening in dallas yeah so you know and so when i was i would be on the road you know backing whatever artist um you know, I would come home and then it was continuous music, you know, go out and play every night of the week. So until it was time to leave and go back on the road again, uh, you know, and then until I, I landed in Lucky Peterson's band, which, you know, that that was a that was a great opportunity and, and and stayed with him for quite some time.
0: And how was that?
1: I mean, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was it was my it, that was when I began to be, a you know, world touring. Uh, you know, I started touring all over Europe. Um, that was my introduction to playing overseas at 18. I, um, at 18, 19 years old, I was playing and, you know, and, and I didn't realize the stature that Lucky was on in Europe. Um, you know, like I said, I knew him from Dallas, I knew him from playing in blues clubs. And, and then when I, I toured the States with him at first, and we were doing the East Coast and Canada, and, you know, we played a couple of festivals, which, you know, you know, playing at Blues Festival, I, and I'd played concerts with all these other guys, you know, with these blues legendary guys, I'd played all different kinds of bigger shows, but with lucky, I just knew him from clubs and, you know, we toured the East coast and played all the big blues clubs. And, and then it was time to go to Europe. And I thought, wow, okay, this is going to be cool. And you know, the first show there was 25,000 people, you know? And I thought, dude, I thought we
0: were playing clubs. You know, I had no clue what, what that meant. You I know, brought like my you little mean. amp.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, I'd have brought the half stack. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly, man. I, it was my introduction to to see that people could have a different career overseas and different in the states, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it was my introduction to that, and so it was just giant craziness you know, over there on a bus, and you know, hanging with guy. You know, we'd go to Paris and be hanging with you know Ronnie Wood from the Stones and all these different people, and. and you know, and then we come back home and play clubs. So it was it was really cool, man. You know, and it was a great education. And to the point where Lucky made me his MD at, you know, I was nineteen, twenty years old, and you know, these were guys in the band that had backed Albert King and BB B. King and and all these great, you know, guys. You know, and I was now their uh, their band their MD.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So. You know, that's, that's kind of what it was. It was quite a, you know, an experience of, you know, having to be a band leader and, and being on the road like that. And, you know, working for all those guys, I'd already like, you know, <clears throat> been in the position where, you know, in those bands, man, when you made a wrong note, blew a change, missed a chord change or a, anything, it was 50 bucks. You know, it was a $50 fine.
0: Oh, they yeah, still anybody, held that? They. The, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah
1: absolutely absolutely so that all that was in place but so it was pretty for me it was pretty easy like i said i had all these guys that were seasoned you know guys so it was really cool to kind of be you know md with these guys that had backed all these great artists so i could just basically um um yeah these the, the, being the md thing was really cool it was it just because i had great guys to to, to work with and, 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 um, you know, and to have in the band. So it was really cool. And then I think from working with, with Lucky, I went on to Buddy Miles, you know, from there who I met, you know, on the, on the circuit, um, playing with Lucky. So.
0: And how was that? uh, That was my next question, man. How was it working with Buddy Miles?
1: Well, it was, uh, working with Buddy was, was, it was up and down. I mean, you know, just like anybody, I mean, we, we had a great, uh, friendship but it could be it could be very interesting at times, you know. Uh, I learned a lot from Buddy. Buddy was a great musician, um, you know, and the way that he wrote. I mean, he shared with me a lot of patterns of how he he wrote with, um, you know, with Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, and how they would write together and how you know billy cox and Jimi hendrix would write together and so we would do a lot of that we lived in a house in fort worth the guy that owned a magazine i can't remember one of it it was you know the fort worth weekly or one of those or worked for like their uh whatever newspaper was in fort worth like gave buddy a house just gave it to him and uh so we lived in this house over um over by tcu and um and it was really cool because the house was kind of all it was built in the 60s so it was like not unchanged it was like almost like something out of bewitched or james bond or something all right. <laughs> So it was really cute cool. so you had that whole thing of thinking of him and hendrix being in a house in the 60s and this house was in the 60s so it had the whole element to it like we were in this completely unchanged house from the 60s um it was it was it was quite it was something so we, uh you know, we worked together, we toured together, we went all over the place, and, and he helped me, you know, begin starting my first record, but uh yeah, it had its challenges, you know, it had its challenges, and it had its ups and downs, but, uh you know, Buddy was a powerhouse, and, and uh, you know, one of the greatest drummers, he taught me a lot about playing drums, too, you know, um, and rhythm, and and, and structure, and, uh, you know, so working with Buddy had uh, had a lot of good, and, you know, it was it was uh, quite an experience.
0: Right on, and it, you played with them a couple of times in both bands. They each had their own like iconic bass players. Like you had Chuck Rainey yeah. in one, and Tommy Shannon of Double Trouble. It, that that must have been kind of surreal for you, seeing as how you were a big Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, playing with these cats that had played with both of those guys.
1: It was it was it was it was pretty incredible. I, the, the first trio. Um, we were starting to work on, um, you know, I was starting to work on my first record and it was, Buddy was the one that, um, that suggested Chuck Rainey. Um, and Chuck was, uh, you know, he was there in Fort Worth as well. And so, uh, Buddy, Buddy suggested we play with Chuck Rainey and, uh, and of course, you know, I'd heard Chuck on you know, Aretha Franklin, Steely Dan, blah, blah, you know, all, yeah. this, but, but didn't know it was Chuck. And so I was like, Chuck, So I mean, you got to understand I was still a kid. You know, I was, I was 19, 20 years old. And so Chuck came to Buddy's house and he brought this huge, big, thick packet of paper that was his resume. <laughs> and he walked in the door and he handed it to me and he, I met him and we saw sat down in Buddy's living room and he brought the resume in. And we sat down and I just flipped through page after page of, you know, the Sanford and son theme, <laughs> you
0: know, wow.
1: Steve, Dan, like everything, and all the Aretha Franklin, like Aretha Franklin was like half the resume, you know, everything she ever recorded. So I was like, yeah, I think we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> Did he hand Go you up. that
0: resume basically to let you know, like, hey, just let me do my thing.
1: no he was very he he was very comforting and very humble and very much like i brought this in case you wanted to see like because he was and he was very gentle and very like i was just a kid you know and he was like i brought this in case you wanted to see what i've done and no he was very humble chuck is chuck sweetheart
0: and yeah i've met him a couple of times he's a super super sweet guy yeah, he was. Doesn't and, and, carry himself like he's played on everything, you know?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. He was almost excited that I didn't know. So he he was, tell, you know, able to kind of introduce me to all the stuff that he had done. So it was really cool. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but I I think that, that Buddy and he, you know, we, we started to track some stuff. And I think he got busy and, and um, you know, Buddy was... Uh, you know, Buddy was Buddy was a lot. You know, Buddy was a lot to handle, and and it started to become, you know, almost you know Buddy Buddy always had a had a way of almost I don't want to say eclipsing, but that's kind of what he did. He would come in and kind of take over, you know. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that Chuck kind of um, you know kind of really um, was was kind of the downer of it all. But there's some there's some recordings, you know, somewhere of us three really you know, getting into some really cool stuff. So I'll have to try to find those one day. Right on. It was really,
0: it was really cool. And how was it but working yeah, with Tommy?
1: With Tommy Shannon, it was great. I'd known Tommy just being around, you know, and I knew him from the Archangels days when Doyle and Charlie Sexton, you know, with Doyle Bramhall and Charlie oh, yeah. Sexton had the man, Um, you know, not long after Double Trouble. and uh, And then later on with Storyville, you know. So I'd been around Tommy quite a bit. Um, and it was, it was buddy that, um, you know, buddy got sick in 2000. He had his first massive, uh, heart attack slash stroke. And, uh, I was there in the hospital with him and the doctor at that time gave him five years to live. And that was like a down thing. And we were all really sad. It was like this really sad moment. So when it came to that fifth year, buddy wanted to go out playing with, the power trio that he wanted to play with and that was that was the fifth year it was 2005 and buddy was like i want to play with the guy this is the trio i want and that's what who he chose he wanted uh he wanted tommy and he wanted me in the band and uh so that was that's how it came about it really didn't have anything to do with us he wanted to go out playing drums you know and that's that was the trio he wanted to play drums in and uh so you know, we did some great shows. We did some shows with um, did some shows with Bonamassa and Darren Rick Derringer and and uh, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. You know, we 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 were on some pretty great bills with those guys, and it was the best I'd ever heard, buddy. Like, sit back and play drums, you know, because yeah. usually when I played with Buddy Miles Express, he would start out on drums and then he would go up front, you know, and then he'd have a drummer. He usually have Kenny Moutinho or. Later on, he had popcorn that would kind of come out, and 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 as his back, so he would front the band, you know. But with 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 Tommy Shannon and I, Buddy actually played more drums and played more like he did with the Band of Gypsies. I mean, there was a lot more fire, there was a lot more power, and it was a it was a really bitching power trio. It was the best trio I'd ever been in,
0: wow. you know. Yeah. Uh, let's back up a little bit, man. You uh you released your first solo album, Wall of Sound. And uh, what two thousand three, two thousand four? Correct.
1: Well, I had an album that came out before that. Um, first things first, actually came out that was re- that we independently released that Buddy produced, Buddy Miles actually produced. Uh, that was later re released, but that we had put that out in ninety
0: uh, nine. Oh, okay. So
1: we we had a small label. Yeah, they got it. it we relicensed it, or we licensed it and reissued it. Excuse me. We reissued it on Graveyard Records in 2007, but it had originally been released uh, in 1999. And so I toured extensively in 2000 and 2001, um, up until around 2002 when we began working on Wall of Soul. Um, during that time, so yeah, we it, there was an extensive period of touring that happened after that independent release. But the first official release on a label was was Wall of Soul. Yeah
0: wall of soul i'm sorry i, I called it wall of sound
1: and everybody always does yeah. uh
0: man on that album uh eric gales appears a lot on that album and you guys have a like a pretty special relationship correct
1: oh my god eric gales and i go back you know
0: 30 he, years. he was a young cat too when he hit the scene he um,
1: was I, you know, I met I met Eric at Dallas City Limits and, and 30 years ago when we were kids. I think he was 16, I was
0: 13.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so that's how far back we'd go. And I'd fly up to Memphis and we'd have sleepovers on the weekends and drink Kool-Aid and eat Captain <laughs> Crunch and play guitar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah we and it, it's cool because you guys are still pretty tight.
1: Very tight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like we, I mean, we're childhood best friends, you know yeah so we 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 go all the way back to childhood you know and um you know so i was there for the early days and been i've been through the thick and the thin with eric so
0: we've,
1: yeah. we've had each other's back and been through all of it together so you know um yeah we we do we we you know eric's my brother man we go all the way back so you know uh and and working with him on wall of soul was interesting because um you know, at that time he had just done a record and the, the, the Hendrix foundation and experience Hendrix had started a record company that was distributed by MCA and Eric had just done a record for them in 2000, 2001 time period. And so he was, he was being managed, uh, by a guy named Scott Carlson. I don't know. He was who managed the red hot chili peppers and oh, okay. Alanis, Alanis set a bunch of other really big artists. And, uh, And so, and so Buddy got signed by Scott Carlson as well. And so what they had in mind is they were devising a band of gypsies return thing with Billy Cox. And so they were going to have all these guest guitar players like Slash and Vernon Reed and Steve Vai and on and on and on all these current, you know, guitar, Satriani, all these different people, except they didn't want to just go in there and have them playing Foxy Lady and, and Purple Haze and, with all these different Hey Joe and all these songs. yeah. So they commissioned Eric and I to write because we were kids and I guess they thought we were on the whatever, you know, like we were going to be the the guys to write the material for that album for those guys to do. And so Eric and I got together in, in Memphis um, for that project and we wrote tons of material and I, I went to Memphis and Eric and I, we had an apartment up there in the early two thousands. And we, uh, we wrote all this material and then it, it never materialized. The project never went forward. I think, I think Billy Cox ended up trying to pick it up and, and, and kind of salvaged it, but all the, the one with all the kind of the A-list name guys never, never materialized. And so we had all this great material that we demoed out in Memphis. And so I said, man, I'm using this for an album. And so um, we got Doug Pennick from Kings X to come up. He did a track with us. Yeah. Uh, on, on the album, um, you know, and, and we, we just cut all the material that we had basically written for that Band of Gypsies record is what happened with Wall of Soul. And and a lot of it, the other half, the material I had been on the road playing on after the release of my first record, I'd been writing on the road. So it was good and road tested. So it just that album was so much tighter because all that material had been road tested for so long, you know, and then Eric and I had been working on that material for a couple of years for that project. So it was well thought out stuff that it, you know, we had put together for quite some time. So.
0: it was arranged I mean, the final arrangements were kind of ready to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we went in the studio, it was just, it was real quick. I mean, it just, it just happens because we, you know, we'd had the stuff, you know, worked out for quite some time.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to take a step away from your music right now. You've been really open about your sobriety and your right. past problems um did that start early or did that start like later in your mid you know how old were you when that started and when did you realize you had to like really make that change
1: well man i you know i um i grew- you know growing up in louisiana man around in that culture you know drinking is such a huge part of it you know mm-hmm. um like in New Orleans and, and, and just South Louisiana and, and all my family. So it had started real early on with the drinking, you know, and then later on, you know, growing up around drugs and getting involved in drugs. And then as I, you know, trying pot here and there and whatever else, you know, with kids at school, you know, like any other kid. But when, uh, when I definitely got into bands, it definitely escalated and, you know, uh, you know, and I would, you know, like I said, I'd be in New Orleans when I was a kid and playing all night long with the, the, the bars never closed. And, you know, I remember showing up to a gig one day and I was yawning. and I was sleepy and I'd been playing, you know, because I'd have to play all night long and then go to school all day and then go to another gig the next day and then play all night long and then go to school all day. yeah, And then finally, by three or four days, I was like totally run down and yawning. And a guy was like, I got something to fix that. Try this, you know, and so then that's when it was like, oh wow, this this works great for that. So, you know, that there there in lies the the problem that began to happen when I could use whatever I was trying to do, and it was a lot of it was that was the scheduling and trying to keep up, and you know, I didn't have to sleep and I wasn't tired and I could make it to the next gig and those kind of things, and then it just uh, it just kind of escalated from there, and I wanted to hang, man. I would be around guys that. You know, these legendary blues guys that that were great. And, uh, you know, and I'd want to hang and I'd, they'd be, they're getting high, you yeah, know, yeah. and I I wanted to be able to hang, man, you know, and so I'd be like, hell yeah, give, you know, hand it here, give it to me, you know, and, and then, you know, and then I would go home with a, with a, I went home with an addiction, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. and,
1: uh, and a lot of those guys started to die, you know, pretty rapidly after that. I mean, in succession, they were down like, you know, there were so many of them that were passing away and and, uh, and a lot of them that, that would do that. They would go, man, if you want to hang and play the blues, you need to hit this, you know, or whatever. And I'd give it here, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot of that that happened. And and so, man, I struggled for years, man. I struggled for years with it. And, you know, pretty early on, um, you know, I began trying to get help, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and all the consequences that went along with it, man, the legal problems getting in trouble with the law, you know, family, pro everything that it entails, man, it just continuously, you know, would happen. And, and, uh, you know, and so I would, I, you know, I, would, I struggled and I would get help for a little bit and, but I wouldn't do exactly what, you know, what, what I was supposed to, you know, I was kind of still doing things the way I wanted to do them. Hmm. And, uh, so man, you know, it took quite a while for me to finally realize, man, that, um, you know i need to give up my way and the way that i think it needs to be done and follow instructions and and do exactly what i was supposed to do and that's you know and that's what i've done this time man you know i had a pretty good run a few years ago and things were, were really happening and um you know and you know i had chronic pain and that in and this uh, heavy schedule and again it was like man i'm going to take some meds because it's you know i'm in pain i've got back problems and, uh, thinking I could take meds the way that other people take meds and, and it just completely set everything off again, you know? <laughs> so it was a, it was a real true lesson of, dude, I can't ingest these certain substances. This is what I can and can't do. And, uh, you know, and I needed total removal to a place where, you know, for a long time, um, people had been, you know, telling me I needed to kind of go for the support groups and everything else. And that was Nashville. You know, I had gone to Nashville before uh, the Grammy Foundation had uh, stepped in and helped me several years ago go to treatment there. And um, and so I, you know, the Music Cares Foundation and the Grammy Foundation stepped in and got me some help. And so when I was there the first time, they go, man, you need to stay here and start your life over. And I, and I totally refuse. I'm like, I'm a Texas guy. I'm from Dallas. This is like, my home, like I need to go back there. And they were like, dude, you got too much bad history. Like you got, you know, too much accessibility this could be a problem. And and I totally refused. And so when I got back, you know, I moved, I kind of moved around a little bit, but I always had that in the back of my mind. Like if anything else was that ever happened again, I needed to go back up there and stay up there and do exactly what they said to do. And lo and behold, a few years later, due to my, my back pain, I took some meds, boom, it set everything off. And so for a few months, I was kind of back down the drain again. And so I I was lucky enough to go back to Nashville, back to treatment. And that's when I went, OK, I'm willing to listen and willing to do whatever you guys tell me I need to do. And so that's now relocated me to Nashville. And so I took a complete year off of touring. I stopped everything. I stopped basically the music business. And then I actually went to work at a rehab center in Nashville and went to work in that environment. So that's what I did. I I, I got out of rehab and then I went to work at a rehab. Wow. So I started I started helping other people. I was a uh I was a resident a residential um um tech at a, at a, a very high-end facility in Nashville, you know, with, with like, you know, I had 16 guys under my care you know, and, and, and basically living in the rehab with the guys taking care of them 24 seven. So it was, it was pretty in depth situation where I was there for 18 months working with these kids, man, you know, getting, getting these kids help and sitting with them and helping them like people had for so long sat and helped me. So yeah. that strengthened my recovery, you know? So, and that was one of the things I never did, you know, because I would come into rehab and get patched up And then I'd be in a gig with like 30 days sober and guys would come up and put an eight ball in my hand, you know, and I'd be like, Oh my God, what do I, and I would panic, you know? And so this time I stepped away, I went to Nashville, I went to work at a rehab and I I went back and started helping kids, man, and really helping kids that were struggling with drugs and helping their families working with their families, working with other kids and did that for almost two years, you know? And, uh, and it really, I, I, this time I feel like it's, it's been the, it's been the magic thing that has really solidified what, um, you know, what I do. And it's like, you know, people ask me all the time, they're like, Lance, do you think you'll ever, you'll ever get higher drink again? And I go, you bet your ass I will, if I don't do this program every day. Yeah. And that's where I thought, I thought I was like, well, you know, I thought I was like cured and I didn't have to do it. You know, the better, the more better I got is like the less I did like, oh, I'm good now. But the, the, the more time I actually get sober, the more I'm into it now. So that's that's the opposite side of it. So, you know, at least today, you know, I'm I'm feeling great and feeling really good. And uh, Nashville has been one of the, the best thing I could have ever done. Right. My, my, so, you know,
0: do you over. think do you think this last year, this 2020 would have been harder had you not gone through the process before this whole shutdown or anything?
1: Oh my God, man. I don't even think, I don't know if I would have survived it. You know, you know I, re- I really don't. And I mean, and it was difficult. I mean, you know, because I had taken that time off and had, and had gone through all that and I was getting ready to get back on the road. I mean, we announced festivals in Europe and we were getting ready to go back and hit it. So it was quite a, it was still quite a blindsiding situation, but because of, you know, being sober and having that support group where I'm at now, it was incredible man like we really it it, it, you know it definitely uh held strong and i I, you know i absolutely got into things that i never thought i would be doing and it really was kind of a cool situation um you know as far as like alternative things you know to do to earn money and other stuff so you know it's like man i you know but yeah if i'd have not been sober man i don't know if i'd have survived it
0: right on man well thanks for talking about that absolutely yeah. Um, speaking of this last year, man, uh, I've been kind of keeping up with you. You started repairing amps. I did doing yeah. a lot of amp repair there in Nashville.
1: Right. Well, I'm actually sitting right here right now with the gentleman that started all that, my adopted dad Chuck Kavoris here in Los Angeles. We uh, we I was I was going back to work at another rehab in Nashville, like the big one of the big ones. And, uh, and I, and that work had been really daunting and I was trying to, I'd had, a, I'd had a bit of a break from it and I was getting ready to go back and do it some more. So I was like, man, what do I, you know, and the process was taking a little bit longer, um, to go to work at a different rehab. And that's actually what I was going to do, you know, but rules were different with COVID and all these restrictions. And I, you know, it was, it was, it was, very strange, you know, to try to work in a healthcare facility, you know, with all that. Um, so uh you know i reached out to uh chuck out here in la uh who's actually moving to nashville by the way we're actually getting right out in la moving into nashville but i called chuck and said man this is what's going on and so he uh he hung up the phone and called uh todd sharp in nashville tennessee which todd is you know not only is he one of the greatest guitar players in town and was out in los angeles for many years worked with Mick Fleetwood and Rod Stewart and all these other guys. Well, it was a great amp tech, and and so um, you know, um, so Chuck called Todd, and uh, and it just happened to be you know ten minutes from my house, wow. and so I, I went down there, and you know, and I'd kind of worked on my own amps for you know and knew all about amplifiers, and and uh, you know, it worked with Reinhold Bogner uh, designing you know some stuff, and 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 I, you know, I knew a lot about um amplifiers but it it really was in a whole nother level or going into the national amplifier service with todd sharp so that's what i did during the pandemic you know i I, I got in and really dug deep into this um into this craft and and was able to get like a a real deal trade out of it and not only learn about you know the actual the, the repair part of it but it actually got into you know physics and electronics and you know, so much education involved in it. Um, capacitance, resistance, I mean, really electrician stuff that that's what I did with my time, you know, during, uh, and I was just so fortunate to have that. And, uh, you know, so, uh, thanks Chuck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks Chuck. (laughs) Um, a couple more questions. questions, man, a couple more questions. Uh, you have been fortunate enough to do this for so long. You've, you've, I'm, you've met a lot of your heroes and uh, is there anyone in particular that stuck out, man, that, that you were like, you know, like, wow, like this person knows my name. <laughs> um,
1: well, if, oddly enough, it was always funny whenever I was around Eric Clapton, especially around the days of the, of the, first crossroads festivals in those time periods eric would call me every other name except lance <laughs> <laughs> i would be larry i would be lauren i was lawrence what else was i I'm trying to think of what else was i and i would go uh, he would go yes lauren and i would go lance and he would go right lauren <laughs> so it was just funny to mention that when you said that but uh i don't know man there's so many guys that um you know that really that it helped me but really one of the most in particular probably have to be ringo you oh, wow. know uh ringo would be i mean he's a beatle so that would be probably the biggest on the list i would think that that um those guys you know of, of, of those guys and and um you know but i you know man there's so there i've just been so fortunate to be around great musicians i don't know uh hmm. You know man I just it, it it is it's really cool to kind of um you know to be able to be in those positions and I don't I you know I don't take it for granted that's for sure you know and and to be able to to play with my biggest heroes and and you know some of my biggest heroes playing wise um you know weren't huge big A list celebrities you know they were guys that um that were on the ground that you know that some guys that nobody even knew about you know that were some of the biggest deals to me you know I would have to convince people of who they were, and they'd be like, "Who? What? Who's this yeah. guy? <laughs> that was usually my story. You know, I was yeah. always meeting guys that nobody even had a clue who they were, and I would be over the top about it. So, yeah, that happened. Real, real grateful to do it.
0: Um, man, like I said, you've been doing this a long time. Is there ever a time you wanted to quit and do something else?
1: Oh man, um. I mean, yeah, when you know, when, when the van runs out of gas and you got a flat and the van wants to kill each other and you're in the middle of the Mojave Desert in Death Valley. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> there's been those times.
0: <laughs> man.
1: When you're on the road when you're on the when you're on the road and everybody's ready to kill each other, yeah, there's many times I just wanted to pull the van over and just take off walking.
0: <laughs> you know. Well uh um, yeah the uh my podcast is called "Is Breakfast Included." We ask this question to everyone that's on it, man. If breakfast was included, what would you have?
1: Oh my gosh, eggs Benedict, man! <laughs> a nice eggs Benedict, man. You know, absolutely. I mean, that's 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 my uh, that's my go-to. Or you know, man, like you know, the uh, good chorizo and eggs is always a good choice as well. So. I know,
0: right? <laughs> that's that's the go-to right there for me.
1: Yeah, I mean you know it's hard for me. To, I mean that's what I had today. I think I've had chorizo twice since I've been in LA in one day. <laughs> so yeah, man.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, where can people find you on social media, man? Online.
1: So um, our Facebook page is where we're kind of we're kind of broadcasting out of today. It's um, Lance Lopez Band Facebook, Lance Lopez Band, and then uh, Instagram. A little bit more active on Facebook. Um, you know, we're going to try to ramp up our Instagram. But it's Lance Lopez, guitarist, or uh, Facebook Lance Lopez Band.
0: Right on. And do you have uh, you working on anything, any new material?
1: We're working on new material. Matter of fact, I'm I'm here. I've got Joey Sykes, producer, here right now, and we're riding along in the in the in the vehicle, and we're working on on an album. We bands and uh, Record Joey uh, Greg Bissonette, State Steve Ferrone, um, BU. Yeah, Bissonette, who's you know plays with Ringo Starr and yeah. Yellow, and then Ferrone, who was with what Clapton, um, Tom Petty. Yeah. yeah, so we've got we've got some great musicians on this on this new album, and we're uh, we're working on you know trying to get it completed. Um, we're definitely thinking about probably doing a crowdfunded kind of situation to. to complete the album and to get back on the road and uh you know so yeah we've got several songs in the can that are that are i mean they're they're really great i'm really proud of them and so we're working remotely like he's they're cutting tracks in los angeles and we're uh i'm overdubbing guitars and vocals in nashville you know
0: right on, so man.
1: so that's what we're doing now and then you know we're getting back out on the road I'm i'm coming back down to texas in september um you know we've got a few we've got four or five dates um through east texas down to houston the back um you know so we're uh, and you can find those dates on our social media um you know we're we're uh you know so we're just looking forward to things opening back up and getting back there but really it's it's you know we're looking forward to uh completing this this album project
0: all oh, right on man i can't wait to hear it
1: yep yeah, absolutely well thanks bernie
0: well, I've taken enough of your time, man. I do appreciate you doing this. I know you're busy out there. Um, but, uh, man, we should catch up once this album comes out.
1: Sounds good, Bernie. Thanks for everything, man. And thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Oh, man, thanks for doing it. You guys have a good night. Yeah,
1: you, you too, can. Bernie. Thanks, man. All
0: right. Bye. Cheers. All right on. That was Lance Lopez. Give him a follow on Facebook and keep an eye on his live shows. And if he's coming anywhere near you, go check him out. It's a pretty good show. Also, I want to say thank you to all those who've been listening and subscribing and reviewing and following the social media. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Episode 21. Not bad, huh? All right, I'm done. You guys have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.